I'm Chris Reback. This is Investigating Breast Cancer, the podcast of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation and conversations with the world's leading scientists studying breast cancer prevention, diagnosis, treatment, survivorship, and metastasis. Immunotherapy, treating a disease by inducing, enhancing, or suppressing an immune response, remains one of the biggest hopes in terms of potentially finding a breast cancer cure. And yet, it also remains an incredibly challenging discipline. What works for one type of cancer may not for another. Why is that? What lessons can researchers take from successful cases, melanoma, lung, or other cancers, and apply to breast cancer? And where exactly are researchers in finding an immunology answer for breast cancer? To find out, I spoke with one of the nation's leading researchers in the field, Dr. Jed Walchuk. Dr. Walchuk is chief of the Melanoma and Immunotherapeutics Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. A BCRF investigator since 2011, he's helped establish the center as a leader in the discovery and treatment of cancers with novel immunotherapies. He's been at the forefront of cancer immunotherapy as an active clinician scientist exploring innovative strategies and laboratory models and as a principal investigator in numerous pivotal clinical trials. He's also, as I learned, proficient with the tuba. I confess, I didn't see that one coming. Before my conversation with Dr. Walchuk, though, one last item, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these investigating breast cancer conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. Okay, that's it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Jed Walchuk. Dr. Walchuk, thanks for uh, joining me. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me, Chris. I, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. So immunotherapy, it remains one of the biggest hopes in terms of potentially finding a breast cancer cure, um, and at the same time, an incredibly challenging discipline. Uh, let's start with the big picture. Why is immunotherapy so difficult to perfect, particularly in breast cancer? That's a great question. Um, I think you know, immunotherapy has a very long history, dating back over 100 years, uh, attempts to try to mobilize uh, our body's immune cells to fight cancer like it would an infection. And I would say for the first you know, uh, 80% of that 100 years, we didn't make a whole lot of progress clinically. We did learn a whole lot at the basic science level. Um, so I think that that's important to acknowledge that um, it really took uh, a dedicated time uh, and investment of resources in uh, some very important basic science investigations to understand what regulates our immune system, both um, in the healthy state and in people with cancer, um, to develop new therapies. Uh, in the past 10 years or so, we've become aware that there are some medicines which um, can uh, treat some cancers quite effectively uh, using the immune system. These are um, what have been termed checkpoint-blocking antibodies, um, the most well-known of which are antibodies that block a molecule called uh, PD-1 or PD-L1, uh, and I'll refer to them interchangeably. Um, for all intents and purposes, these uh, checkpoint-blocking uh, antibodies um, essentially uh, cut the molecular breaks that keep our immune system under control. And if uh, a patient has already had an immune reaction 
to their tumor. That is, if their immune cells have already seen the tumor, recognized it, but the immune system is being held back by these breaks um, from adequately um, killing the tumor, um, these medicines can be very effective in uh, mediating uh, very durable regressions. And this uh, type of response has been seen uh, in um, uh, a variety of different cancers, uh, including uh, melanoma, uh, kidney cancer, bladder cancer, lung cancer, some kinds of lymphomas, um, head and neck cancer, some gastrointestinal malignancies. And importantly for this conversation, um, there is some evidence that these medicines have activity in triple negative breast cancer. And so talk to me about the differences among the cancers. In, as I was researching for this conversation, uh, one of the things that stood out to me was it, it appears that it may be straightforward, surely isn't the right word, but, but immunotherapy may be more straightforward with a lung cancer or a melanoma. And I, again, I know straightforward isn't the, the, the proper word. It's uh, complicated in all cases. But, but certainly more complicated, it appears, in breast cancer. Why, why the differences within the cancers? Uh, it's a really important question and, and one that we have not totally figured out yet. I can tell you sort of what we know already. Um, and uh, one is really that uh, the cancers in which um, this type of approach tends to work are those in which there's more baseline genetic damage, more mutations in the genes. And the reason why that uh, may be important to the immune system um, is because the immune system will recognize these altered or mutated proteins from these genes as being foreign um, uh, in the same way that the immune system recognizes things that uh, are uh, derived from bacteria and viruses as being foreign, as opposed to our own normal cells. And so one uh, sort of rule that has uh, been very popular in uh, study in the past five or ten years has been looking at the degree of uh, genetic damage uh, and relating that to outcomes from immunotherapy. Now, melanoma is amongst the most mutated uh, or genetically damaged of all cancers because it um, it arises in many people as a result of sun exposure and the the organ at risk, uh, the skin, is exposed to the sun many hours of many days. And so there's an accumulation of genetic damage. Only a small amount of that genetic damage is actually responsible for driving sort of the malignancy. So there's a lot of this background or passenger uh, gene mutation. Um, but in, in breast cancer, the, the triple negative subtype, um, you know, is more genetically damaged therefore attracts more inflammation at baseline um, and uh, is amenable to this kind of treatment. Um, in lung cancer, we, we see, again, the same message that those cancers that arise um, in people who have had a lot of tobacco exposure and therefore a lot of genetic damage are more likely to respond. I should say that it's better not to smoke at all and not get the cancer to begin with than to get a cancer as a result of uh, the, the genetic damage from, from tobacco use. Yeah, it's, it's almost, you know, again, to a, to a layperson uh, such as myself, it almost seems counterintuitive. So the more foreign or the more damaged that genetic or, or protein makeup is, the more possible it is for the immunotherapy at this point, and I guess perhaps this is the working theory, for it to be effective. And, you know, one often thinks, well, gosh, the more 
problematic something is, the harder it would be to fix. Um, so how, how should I how should I think about that? Uh, you know, complexity. Well, I think that it's it's a very logical um, conclusion to come to. Uh, what we believe is that the genetic complexity that that we are measuring is not necessarily all related to pathways that lead to the malignancy. Some of it may be sort of silent genetic damage that's not um, contributing to, you know, sort of the aggressiveness of the tumor, but rather just sort of what's been termed bystander or passenger genetic damage. Mm. Um, but, it, but it is a very good question. Um, we have more recently learned that there are other routes to this end of um, getting the immune system interested at baseline um, in something so that once we cut the brakes, if you will, the, the immune system is better able to see the cancer. Um, and uh, what seems to matter is whether there are immune cells in the tumor, uh, in, you know, inside the tumor at baseline. Mm. And we think that one way of getting those immune cells into the tumor at baseline, meaning before we treat the patient, um, is because of genetic damage. Uh, another is that if there are, you know, perhaps just a few mutations that cause a change in the biology of the tumor that allow more immune cells in. And our group here recently had a, a paper in a very rare um, subtype of ovary cancer um, showing that even though there's very little genetic damage, there's a lot of immune interest in the tumor because of uh, where that genetic damage is, what pathways that became abnormal, and how that affected the ability of the immune system to enter the tumor. And that was a, a story that um, made it to the Science Times about uh, a week or two ago. That's what I was just going to ask you about. So it wasn't immediately clear to me that I saw that you were quoted in that piece, an incredible piece of these four women from four different places around the world who, I guess, got themselves into uh, an, immune, uh, an immunology program that doctors said would not work for them. And luckily, uh, it appears, um, it did work for them. And so was that... Is that part of the surprise? What what did you learn, or what what happened? I guess that that surprised you. That uh, was a you know I guess very fortunate result for these women, um, and maybe and then two I guess is it something that you think can potentially be extrapolated to other cancers? What you learned in this one particular case? Yeah, it's a really um, really excellent point. Uh, what we learned is that. Uh, Having uh, many genetic mutations is not the only way um, that uh, a tumor becomes interesting to the immune system, that there can be just a few genetic errors that um, change the biology in the tumor in a very powerful way that let immune cells in. Um, and it also uh, really alerted us that um, we have not figured out all of the rules um, that govern whether or not immunotherapy works. We have some general principles, but they're not absolute. And that's why when patients like those women with this rare, um, what, what's been termed small cell hypercalcemic type of ovary cancer, um, got access to uh, PD-1 blocking medicines, uh, largely through uh, compassionate use, you know, not through formal clinical trial per se. Um, you know, we, we learn a lot from studying individual people and unexpected responses. 
Um, so I think that that's a very important lesson for us. It's got to be so uh, fulfilling in in. I mean, two ways that immediately jump to mind. One, the obvious one, uh, you've helped save, well, extend or save these women's lives. And uh, that's got to be the most fulfilling part of what you do. But also taking that kind of heroic part, heroic part out of it, you're, you're working in a field. You've been working in it for 20, 30 years, however long it's been. And you still must find daily, regular surprises, these these things that you you know these new discoveries you're busy sleuthing and every once in a while these new discoveries pop up perhaps in places that you didn't expect them and that's got to just keep it um, you know in, incredibly fresh I guess I, I, indeed um, and I think you you hit you know um, some very important points there one is that um, you know it, this is an incredibly uh, fulfilling. Um, job that I have to try to help people dealing with very human, very difficult problems and to try to, as quickly as possible, um, find answers. Um, it's often very humbling, um, but it's a great privilege to, to try to serve you know, fellow people who are struggling. Um, and I think that um, it's also... Um, very rewarding to see the work of the past, um, you know, help some people. Um, but, you know, every week that I'm in clinic, I also see people for whom these currently available immunotherapies are not yet the right answer for. And that is firm, um, uh, really impetus yeah. for um, working even harder. Um, doing more science, both in the laboratory and in the clinic, to develop even more effective approaches that use the immune system alone or in combination with other treatments um, to try and control cancer. Yeah, that, that's the, that is the uh, unfortunate news. I, I'm sure you would take this the, the best way possible. We all hope that at some point you don't have a job. <laughs> oh, I, would, I, I, I say that to my patients all the time, yes. right, that, that I would be very happy to be unemployed. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll find you something else. I mean, you know, there's Uber's, Uber's got a great program, and we can intru- we'd, love to, we'd love to be able to introduce that to you at some point. Good. Excellent. So, <laughs> so uh, where are we and where are you in terms of, breast cancer immunology. Um, I understand that there have been a phase one clinical trial test um, to test the vaccine for safety and efficacy um, in patients with the HER2 positive metastatic breast cancer. Um, and, and, and where is that? Is that do I, am I up to date on that? Is that trial still underway? You what, are. What's the status? Right. So that's um, our first project that BCRF funded was a, a novel form of vaccine to try to um, initiate a baseline immune response um, in women who have HER2-positive breast cancer. And um, the trial has been completed. We're in the process of measuring the immune reactions in the laboratory. Um, And we think that approaches like that are what uh, are going to be needed to add to these other immunotherapy medicines that have recently been um, you know, evaluated in, in, in many diseases as a multi-component um, treatment for, for this disease. Um, we have also done um, some work um, in, in the laboratory looking at the ability of uh, medicines that block a pathway called the PI3K 
gamma pathway um, in breast cancer models to uh, limit some suppressive immune cells. Um, and actually, that is a, a very important lesson that not all immune cells are good or helpful. Some of them are there to dampen the immune response. And so we not only have to accelerate the good immune cells, but we have to quiet down the bad ones. Um, and I'm actually working with several um, uh, breast cancer clinicians around that particular topic. Um, so I think in, in breast cancer, we have some uh, clues and leads uh, of what, um, what needs to be done. Um, and we are actively engaged with the support of BCRF in finding more powerful approaches. How did you transition into breast cancer? Was it always one of the ones? And I, obviously, I know melanoma has been hugely significant for you and perhaps lung cancer as well. And you talked about the ovarian cancer. Um, how and when did you transition into breast cancer looking at that as well? So uh, actually, I started uh, with this first vaccine trial where the uh, initial roots of that in the laboratory date back about 20 years. Um, and the, the reason uh, was quite straightforward at the time that, you know, we had developed a, a novel way to try to vaccinate against certain cancers uh, that seemed to be very potent in the laboratory. Um, and we were looking at different targets uh, on cancer cells, different types of cancer cells to vaccinate against. Um, and given the success at, you know, at, at early success at the time, but now certainly more profound success now of drugs that uh, antibodies that block HER2 are now um, drugs that block HER2, it really appeared as if HER2 were a very promising target to try to vaccinate against. Um, and so we began to apply lessons that we learned studying melanoma uh, to breast cancer. And uh, as this vaccine program evolved, um, you know, I, I became more interested in um, understanding more about what the immunologic needs were uh, in the area of breast cancer. And I think this is a, um, a philosophy that has uh, taken hold uh, across our institution, across many institutions, that we no longer, um, at least at the, the scientific and clinical investigation level should be studying um, one disease. Uh, we need to be studying mechanisms underlying diseases um, because those mechanisms could be widely applicable across diseases. Um, and I think that's extremely important and it, um, it really um, leverages um, you know, the work uh, for even higher impact. I, you know, I can't tell you, I hear that so often. It's one of the most fascinating aspects of these conversations. I hear that from uh, the, the researchers and the scientists very, very frequently, that they, it's the, the, the cross-discipline um, action across various cancers and trying to consider what is it that worked in this one area and is there some part of that that we can help make work in a different area um, that, that is key to, to so much research, it seems, and, and uh, you know, every once in a while, the, the breakthroughs. Um, related question, what about combining immunotherapy with radiation? I was reading a little bit about that. Um, what do you feel is possible there? I think that that's an, an area of, of very current investigation. Um, we know that radiation can have a profound effect on, on tumor cells in terms of limiting their growth. It can also cause both favorable as well as perhaps some unfavorable changes to immune cells uh, within the tumor. So we're 
working uh, along with many other groups to try to understand that better and optimize ways to use radiation um, along with immunotherapy. And um, we also are very interested in understanding what the best way to use immunotherapy along with chemotherapy is. Um, we, we, we know that chemotherapy plays a pivotal role um, in uh, outcomes in breast cancer, and we don't want to uh, necessarily walk away from that. We, we think that we need to um, expand upon that um, clinical activity um, in a thoughtful and systematic way. So timing becomes important. When do you introduce immunotherapy um, in someone who's receiving chemotherapy? How is it best to do that? Is it best to do it before the uh, the chemotherapy before, because we know that uh, that chemotherapy can have a temporary immune suppressing effect, but we also know that after chemotherapy, as the immune system is reconstituting itself or recovering, that is a time of great immune activity. And so we actually think that right after chemotherapy might be a very um, opportune moment to um, introduce an immunotherapy. Before I let you go, um, tell me about you. Was it always science as you were growing up? And um, I see you spent just a, a, you know your undergrad years in, at Princeton, but most of the rest of your time was at NYU. So I'm, I'm assuming that perhaps you're uh, New York born and raised. But was it, was it always science for you? Was there ever a time where uh, you thought you might become a playwright instead? Um, I, I think it was... It was clear to me, you know, um, once I started college that I was interested in, in science, um, medicine, or as it turns out, both. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I've, I've kind of been on that narrow focus track for a while. Um, like many of my colleagues, I, I do have some outside interests. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a musician. Oh. Uh, uh, I play tuba in a... Um, in an adult um, avocational wind ensemble, wow. um, and uh, very much enjoy that. Wow. Okay. So then we we don't need to worry about you. You know, let, go ahead, have this job go away, please. And uh, you know, I'm sure you'd be very happy being a uh, musician and traveling the world that way. Yeah. I, although I've said, I think it may be easier to be a cancer researcher than it, than <laughs> than it is to actually to find a place as a professional tuba player. You know, th- those those jobs don't open up very often. Yeah. No. No, they don't. And and trying to get your you know the luggage and the carry you know in the overhead in the plane that can't be easy either. So. Oh no, that's yeah. <laughs> Got that right. <laughs> uh, Dr. Wolchek, thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank, you. thank you for the work that you do as well, uh, obviously. Um, thank you on all fronts. Well, thank you for the, uh, for the opportunity to talk, and thanks to BCRF for the ongoing support for the vision to have recognized immunotherapy as an answer for the future um, and for all the enthusiasm behind our work. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was my conversation with Dr. Jed Walchuk. My thanks to Dr. Walchuk for joining and you for listening. To learn more about breast cancer research or to subscribe to our podcast, go to bcrfcure.org slash podcasts.